It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, July 26, 2021. I'm Kelly Reese and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Tonight, the California Report turns our attention to water. They investigate how drought after drought may drive businesses out of California as water costs and restrictions rise. Then, a look at the challenges California's Native American communities face getting safe drinking water. In national Native news, this Thursday, Mary Simon will be sworn in as Canada's 30th Governor General. She's the first Indigenous person to serve in the role. We'll take a brief look at regional headlines and weather before Sid Brown takes us for a walk in the park to close out our newscast. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. California industries have sent manufacturing jobs overseas for years to find lower wages and fewer regulations. But as the drought tightens its grip on the state, some businesses might have an additional reason to leave the search for cheap water. KCRW's Benjamin Gottlieb tells us about the importance of H2O to LA's fashion industry. Think about the clothing you're wearing right now and how it was made. The material, its design, its retail cost, and then there's water. It can take a lot, more than 700 gallons, for example, to make a single cotton t-shirt. For Sean Zahedi, who runs Lafayette Textiles in the city of Vernon in LA County, water use is a perennial worry. Yeah, it is so water intensive, and obviously it does translate into a higher cost of manufacturing especially here. Roughly 85% of California, including LA County, is experiencing either extreme or exceptional drought conditions right now, the highest level there is on the U.S. drought monitor scale. And that means water costs are up, and if things keep moving this way, mandatory water restrictions could come back, something former Governor Jerry Brown did for the first time in the state's history during the last drought. Hilsa Metchek with the nonprofit California Fashion Association says those rules prompted many in the fashion industry ecosystem, like dye houses, to leave the state. And if you're in a dye house, the water has to run all the time. That is not a problem in Mexico. Where water conservation laws are often not enforced. Mandatory water cutbacks are not on the table yet, but earlier this month, Governor Gavin Newsom urged residents to reduce their water use voluntarily by 15%. And with some of the state's reservoirs at historically low levels, high temperatures too, mandatory conservation could come soon. For the California Reports, I'm Benjamin Gottlieb in Vernon. Even when the state isn't in a drought, some of California's Native American communities face challenges getting safe drinking water. A recent study by the State Water Resources Board found that nearly 40% of tribal water systems in California are either in violation of drinking water standards or at risk of violating those standards in the future. Jonathan Rash is Deputy Director of the Division of Sanitation Facilities Construction at the California Area Indian Health Service. The tribes have real challenges with successful operation and maintenance of their facilities. I would say primarily financial challenges because throughout the state of California, many of the tribes are very small. They have a small user base, a small land base, so they don't have the economy of scale to get the funding they need to operate them at the level they need to be operated. For more perspective, the California Report's Keith Mizuguchi spoke with Chairman Bo Mazzetti with the Rincon Band of Luceno Indians in San Diego County. Every tribe of California 
has need for additional water infrastructure development. Uh, for example, in the old days, when I say old days in the 70s, most tribes, when Indian health, health tribes developed their water systems, uh, they put in like a four-inch line. That's a four-inch diameter water line. Well, that line, for example, will not sustain a long distance. It will not sustain fire hydrants. But people don't realize most of the tribes do not have fire hydrants because we don't have the diameter pipe, which is a six to eight inch diameter pipe that you could put a fire hydrant on. So when we have fires, we have very little ways to really fight them, fight the fires. The other thing is we don't have the water storage, storage ability to fight fires. So yes, every tribe has a need for infrastructure uh, improvement and development. Every tribe in the state of California. Are water rights for tribal lands still an issue in the state? Going back to the Groundwater Sustainability Act, that's one thing I'm personally proud of. Within that Sustainable Groundwater Management Act that was passed and signed by the governor, Governor Brown, there's a special provision in that where the state recognized Indian Federal Reserve water rights. They're the first state to ever Federal Reserve water rights acknowledgement in legislation, California. So I'm proud of the state for doing that and understanding it. The biggest problem with tribes are we're kind of out of sight, so we're out of mind. When legislation and different things, water necessity is needed, assistance is needed, tribes have to try to scrabble and find what they can. With drought conditions worsening in the state, how concerned are you about what it will all mean for tribal lands across California? It's a major concern. As the wells drop, then you, you would get into, if you have a well, the water table dropped below the existing well depth, uh, what you have to do is go in and then deepen that well. If you're fortunate to be able to hit more water, you have to deepen that well. Again, that takes time and that takes money. I know most of the well drillers, I'm also a licensed well driller, so I have a little background in that area. Uh, they're all busy. They're busy. So what our tribe's looking for, uh, we have communities around us trying to develop some kind of a relationship and a contract to be able to tie into some local system as a emergency backup system for our tribe. We're working on that. Uh, not all tribes have that opportunity. You know, it depends where you're located within the state. That was Bo Mazzetti with the Rincon Band of Lusanio Indians talking to the California Report's Keith Mizuguchi. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. PersonalCapital.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. And Blue Shield of California, closing the health care gap since 1939. Learn more about their commitment to quality and fair health care for every Californian at news.blueshieldca.com. Let's turn to the Olympic Games in Tokyo. The U.S. men's indoor volleyball team is 1-1 one and one so far in the competition, following a loss to Russia earlier today. We've been tracking three-time Olympian and middle blocker David Smith, who grew up in Los Angeles County, and asked him about what life in the Olympic Village has been like. Everybody's masking. There's sanitation stations all over the places. In the dining hall, we're pretty much individual seating with little glass plastic partitions between everybody who's eating in there. So it's not 
It's the same thing, but you, there's definitely a little noticeable differences. The men's volleyball team's next match is tomorrow night against Tunisia. And that is the California Report for Monday, July 26th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening and have a good day. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A Minnesota court Friday granted a temporary restraining order against Hubbard County, the sheriff, and a local land commissioner in northern Minnesota. The ruling requires law enforcement to not block a driveway to a property used as a camp by indigenous-led groups opposing the Line 3 oil pipeline replacement project. Two leaders of the movement against Line 3, Winona LaDuke and Tara Hauska, filed the order. It also requires law enforcement to stop issuing criminal citations against people using the driveway. They're calling the ruling a huge legal win. Hundreds of people have been arrested, including LaDuke, in the movement against the replacement project. They're concerned about impacts to water and the environment. The company Enbridge says the replacement of Line 3 is needed to transport oil from Canada to Wisconsin, pointing to jobs and an economic boost. Those in opposition are calling on the Biden administration to stop the project and are vowing to continue to fight construction. The Standing Rock Sioux Tribe welcomed Lummi Carvers and their totem pole to North Dakota over the weekend. They're on a cross-country journey to Washington, D.C. to raise awareness of indigenous issues and sacred site protection. Tribal leaders and grassroots organizers held an event in Standing Rock to call on the Biden administration to shut down the Dakota Access Pipeline. Speakers at the event, which was streamed online, reflected on the fight against construction of the pipeline in 2016, which brought together Native people and their allies from around the world to opposition camps. Standing Rock Tribal Council member Nola Taken Alive says unity is what led to people gathering at Standing Rock, and unity is helping the Lummi Carvers on their journey. Speaking from Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, I want to thank you, and we continue to thank you. It was the spark of our young people who brought not only our relatives of indigenous communities together, but they sparked that interest of all the world, all the different injustices. Looking at the Missouri River, our relative, Miniwichoni, behind us here and behind all of you here, that spirit still lives And that spirit is going to continue to bring our Lummi relatives strength. Oil began flowing in the Dakota Access Pipeline in 2017. The Standing Rock Sioux Tribe is continuing to fight to protect water, lands, and treaty rights. Leaders are calling on the Biden administration to take action. Organizers of the totem pole journey are making stops at sacred sites along the way to D.C. Mary Simon is being sworn in Monday as Canada's 30th Governor General. She's the first Indigenous person to serve in the role of the Queen's representative in Canada. Earlier this month, she thanked Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Queen Elizabeth for the opportunity. This is a moment uh, that I hope all Canadians feel part of because my appointment reflects our collective progress towards building a more inclusive just an equitable society. The Queen approved the appointment on Trudeau's recommendation. Canada is a place defined by people, by people who serve those around them, who tackle big challenges with hope and determination, and above all, who never stop working to build a brighter tomorrow. In other words, people like Mary Simon. 
Simon is from northern Quebec. She's an advocate for Inuit rights and culture and has worked with the federal government on a number of issues. Her appointment comes as the country struggles with reconciliation and as more unmarked graves are discovered across the country on the grounds of former residential schools. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. For Native Americans affected by domestic violence, the Strong Hearts Native Helpline offers peer-to-peer support and resources. It's safe, confidential, and toll-free at 844-7-NATIVE. Program support by the National Indigenous Women's Resource Center. This show is supported by the FX original series, Reservation Dogs. From Sterling Harjo and Taika Waititi, Reservation Dogs follows the adventures of four indigenous teens in rural Oklahoma. Reservation Dogs, streaming August 9th, exclusively FX on Hulu. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. And for today's headlines, there's a reported vegetation fire near the historical Sugar Pine Mill in Placer County, known as the Stone Incident. Tankers, a helicopter, and ground resources are making access at this time, Ubinet reports. Around 1 this afternoon, reports of a small airplane crash near the Truckee Airport. The twin turbojet was approaching for landing at the Truckee Tahoe Airport when it impacted in the tree-dense terrain. Numerous units were dispatched, and the crash location was verified as north of the Ponderosa Golf Course. A vegetation fire broke out in the immediate vicinity of the crash, and evacuations began concurrently. Six homes bordering both sides of the road in the Stewart Court and Reynolds Way area were evacuated as additional resources continued arriving at the scene. By 1.40, forward progress of the vegetation fire had been stopped. No structures or persons on the ground were impacted or harmed in the crash, this according to Ubinet. The Dixie Fire is the 15th largest wildfire incident in California history, says Cal Fire. The blaze continues to threaten thousands of homes in Butte, Plumas, and Tehama counties. The Dixie Fire has burned nearly 200,000 acres, more than 300 square miles, and destroyed close to two dozen structures, as reported in the Sacramento Bee. The fire's containment currently stands at 22%. 11,000 structures remain threatened. Officially, the fire's cause remains under investigation by CAL FIRE. However, PG&E says its equipment may be to blame. An important reminder from CAL FIRE to our KVMR community— As fire activity continues to ramp up, please take time to ensure you and your family are evacuation ready by visiting readyforwildfire.org. Over the past few days, smoke from the Dixie Fire has spread beyond Plumas County to Sierra County and Nevada County, as well as other Northern California and Nevada regions. The Northern Sierra Air Quality Management District and the Public Health Department of Nevada, Plumas, and Sierra Counties are extending a joint air quality health advisory due to the prolonged and widespread smoke from numerous wildfires, predominantly the Dixie Fire. Poor air quality, possibly reaching hazardous levels, is expected to persist as long as these wildfires are active. As reported in the Sacramento Bee, California medical organizations endorse the state's new COVID-19 vaccine rules for private and public health care workers, saying their requirements will help increase rates among professionals and protect patients receiving care. 
As California battles a surge in cases largely due to the highly transmissible Delta variant, Governor Gavin Newsom announced a new directive today for state workers and healthcare employees to either provide proof of vaccination or continue wearing face coverings and get regularly tested for the virus. The California Medical Association, which represents doctors, issued a statement supporting Newsom's order. Quote, when someone comes into a healthcare setting, they deserve to know the medical personnel who care for them are doing everything in their power to keep them safe, California Medical Association President Peter N. Breton Jr. said. And now for regional weather. The National Weather Service has issued a flash flood watch for the Truckee Tahoe area in effect until 9 p.m. this evening. Slow-moving hybrid-type thunderstorms could produce short periods of heavy rainfall over steeper terrain in and around burn scars. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, a 20% chance of showers after 11 p.m., mostly cloudy with a low around 64. Tomorrow, a chance of thunderstorms before 11 a.m., then a 30% chance of showers, mostly cloudy with a high near 86. Fingers crossed that rain will come. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, scattered showers and thunderstorms mainly after 8 p.m., increasing clouds with a low around 53. Tomorrow, a 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms, widespread haze after 11 a.m., mostly cloudy, then gradually becoming sunny with a high near 78. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, you guessed it, a 20% chance of showers after 11 p.m., mostly cloudy with a low around 64. Tomorrow, possible showers before 11 a.m., mostly cloudy before the sun peeks through and it warms up with a high near 94. Next, we take our bi-weekly walk in the park with Sid Brown. Sid Brown sits on the board of the Sierra Gold Park Foundation and joins us every other week with news and updates from Nevada County's three state parks. We are well into the summer and well into the situation of wildfire concerns and hazards. I think everybody probably read about we've had some near misses at two of our parks in the last week down at Purden Crossing on South Yuba at the, near the bridge, or even, I think, on the bridge, there was a, fire, a car that had a, a fire situation. I think it was a catalytic converter. This is secondhand here, but thank goodness the car was able to be moved off the bridge so that the bridge itself was not threatened, and there was a wonderful response to contain that wildfire situation that could have been disastrous. And also in the back area of Empire Mine, we had a small fire a week ago, and that resulted in the Penn Gate parking lot being closed for a couple of days, as well as the trails, the Hard Rock Trail, and the area around Penn Gate, just until park staff was able to get that area uh, safe for public use. I would encourage people, especially at this time of the middle of summer when you're using the trails and using the parklands, to stay on the trails. The vegetation is very dry and any vegetation or the habitat or the animals are all stressed. And so the lighter footprint we have during our use, the better for everything. So please confine your activities to the developed area. That's the picnic areas and the trails and the roads where we obviously welcome park visitors. 
And of course, parking when you go to the river, South Yuba River State Park has three main access areas and there are more in between. There's Bridgeport down in the westernmost part of the park where the Bridgeport Covered Bridge is undergoing restoration. One of the parking lots there is closed, but the parking lot on the north side of the river is open. There's parking there in the parking lot and outside the parking lot. That's a self-pay system, and there's lots of no parking signs along Pleasant Valley Road. And we really advise everybody to obey the no parking signs. That means if there's no place to park, please find another place to recreate. If there's no parking, the river is at capacity. I have some good news. Uh, Let's get away from the fire for a moment. And at Empire Mines State Historic Park, you can mark your calendars. We have a couple of events coming up that we're very pleased to partner with state parks for. And that is on August 21st at 10 a.m., we will be holding our Heritage Rose Sale. This is a very popular event where rose cuttings are propagated from the Heritage Roses at Empire Mines State Historic Park Rose Garden. And then the propagated cuttings are in, I think it's one-gallon containers, and are for sale. Uh, I think we have something like 49 different varieties that will be offered starting at 10 a.m. in the parking lot at Empire Mine. So stay tuned. I'll give you more details about that as we get closer. And that is a fundraiser for Sierra Gold Parks Foundation. And all the funds that we raise go right back into park programs for education and interpretive activities and maintenance and protection of the resources at the State Historic Parks, all three of the ones here in western Nevada County. I really would like to give a a heartfelt shout-out to the South Yuba River Citizens League River Ambassadors and the volunteers that have been stationing themselves on the weekends at Bridgeport and Highway 49. And I understand that that program is going to be expanded to the Purden Crossing area as well. And we are just really hoping to be able to get more volunteers willing to participate with this very worthwhile program where we greet park visitors, provide them educational, interpretive material, information about the river and how to make our activities light on the land. I do want to give a little update on the Jones Fire area between Jones Bar Road and Highway 49 to the South Yuba River. The Jones Bar Road access is open to the Jones Bar Recreation Area, which is downstream of Highway 49. Independence Trail West is still closed, and that entire area is a hard closure area. That's where we had the Jones Fire a year ago. So the western part of Independence Trail is closed. The eastern trail is open, and there is a large pullout parking area with a stairway going up to the east part of Independence Trail. And there's also access from Augustine Road. And that Independence Trail East is open to Miners Tunnel and to Augustine Road and access to the South Yuba River. Also, of course, the South Yuba Trail on the other side to Hoyt's Crossing and all the the trails between Pruden Crossing and North Bloomfield Road are open as well. 
I thank you for your interest. I welcome you to the parks, and we'll talk to you next time. You can listen to an extended version of A Walk in the Park on our webpage, kvmr.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's our newscast for tonight, Monday, July 26, 2021. KVMR gets support from John Hensley and Recreation Realty, offering essential real estate services since 1973, showing properties by appointment, following safety protocols. Recreation Realty, two Nevada City locations, Broad Street and Highway 20, 265-6565, nevadacountyproperties.net. And Ben Franklin Crafts, locally owned and offering frames and supplies for arts and crafts. Phone orders and curbside pickup available. Located on Sutton Way in Grass Valley or online, benfranklin-crafts.com. Stick around at 6.30 It's Wings, the Women's International News Gathering Service. On tonight's episode, Hawaiian attorney and indigenous activist Mililani Trask speaks on the gift economy and the difference between corporations and communities. She discusses the concern of destructive overexploitation of nature, highlighting the first time a court honored an indigenous claim of prior invention against a party attempting to patent neem. Then at seven, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. Thanks for listening. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.